Seven minutes it is before 8 p.m. You tuned into Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro with myself, Ayabonga Tawe. We now go into our business wrap, uh, taking a look at all of the big stories in the world of money uh, this evening. And uh, joining me to uh, take a look at some of these stories uh, is uh, Umbulaz uh, Bright Kumalo, Portfolio Manager and Analyst at Vestact Asset Management. Umbulaz, good evening to you, Mdungu. Good evening, good evening, Ayabonga. Good evening to you. How are you doing, my brother? I'm good, good, thanks. How are you doing? Good, man. Can't complain, can't complain. Cabin fever dealing with me much, but uh, we continue nonetheless. Bulaz, let's maybe start off here with Sasol. I mean, I certainly found uh, this particular one quite interesting. It seems that uh, our central energy fund, uh, uh, I suspect these are the same guys who were embroiled in a scandal of the biggest drain of some of these uh, uh, reserves of oil, and uh, uh, we're told selling off strategic stakes and uh, it seems now that uh, they are mulling over whether or not uh, they should be buying uh, assets that have been uh, I guess put on block by some of the woes that Sasol has been faced with. Yeah so these are the um, petrol stations of Sasol right the Sasol garages that you mm. see when you go fill up your car but this is a very interesting story in a way because You've got, uh, you know, Romeo here screaming that is going to save Juliet here on the other <laughs> hand. Uh, I mean, this is a business that, you know, um, 70%, um, you know, made up of Petro SA, like you're saying. Petro SA has lost over $14.6 billion in a very short period of time between 2013 and 2015. Um, as we speak currently, last year, this company lost about, uh, two billion, of which the year before they lost 392 million. It, 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 I don't know, man. This ends up in a suicide. I mean, perfect, uh, you know, Roman Juliet story. So, I mean, what do you make of this? Because, uh, you know, I do know just over an hour ago, uh, we saw a statement coming out from the CEF, and uh, they suggested uh, that, uh, you know, all of these reports are malicious and bordering on sensational. Uh, these are the reports that they're in talks to buy these petrol stations from Sasol. And they're saying, well, you know, they're considering this option among many other options uh, in the investment universe of uh, potential With energy assets they could invest in. With what cash? And who's going to fund all of these assets? Ambitions. <laughs> it's, just, it, it's, it's, it's basic finance, right? You, you come, it's either you pay with your shares of your business, you know, to, uh, to, 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 to the other party, you know, at an arm's length transaction, or you go to the banks, you help fund you the deal, at an acceptable rate, etc., etc., of which you know, CEF it doesn't have the, the luxury of mm. both. Um, it needs to look internally first and fix what is going on, uh, you know, with some of the operating entities. Mm. On top of that, to add, you know, insult to injury, you remember they opened that new entity um, uh, that was, you know, Greta Mandashi told them to open where they're going to be holding all the government mineral rights. Yes, That's yes. Just another mess going on there that has is yet to make any revenue. So come on, show me your great operator first before you go around courting other businesses and telling them sweet nothing. And you know, I'm doing, I mean, just talking about, uh, you know, some of the operating entities that you're referring to. I mean, interesting case of Petro SA, because uh, one would think that uh, if you don't have the money, uh, well, the one prospect of uh, being able to fund an acquisition like this would be to go to the capital markets. And we know a few years ago, the Treasury flatly denied a request that they had made to go to capital markets uh, to buy some assets from Engine. Yes, so I don't know what what's different this time around. I don't see, because actually what's worse is that now we're you know, under, in the middle of a pandemic. 
Um, and the last thing that people in government want to deal with is financing yeah. CEFs, you know, bad behavior when there's a real issue at hand. That's, you know, crippling our economy. Mm-hmm. Talking about... I don't uh, think this will be a wise way to yeah. spend, um, you know, taxpayers' money. Definitely, definitely. Talking about fuel, Mbulazi, we know one sector that certainly guzzles a lot of the stuff is the um, aviation sector. And one of the players here in South Africa, low-cost carrier Flies Affair, is saying that it's highly unlikely that they're going to be able to resume their flights as uh, we make our way to level three at the end of this month. Oh, boy, that's a, that's another one, right? This is a tough operating environment. We always talk about, you know, commodity-like businesses, and you should stay away from them. Aviation mm. is one of them, you know. Anyone with a bit of capital and, you know, can lease uh, a vessel and start flying from tomorrow. Uh, but here the bigger issue is that they won't be flying at capacity. Mm. You know, they still need um, social distancing measures that you have to implement while you're within yeah. You know, inside the, Are you the suggesting vessel. this is a vanity industry? Uh, I, mean, I heard the subtext yeah. in what you were saying. Which was no, any it, Tom, Dick and Harry can go and get get themselves it, an airline. It, it, if you have money, you can. it just means there's lower barriers to entry. It doesn't mean it, it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's a vanity industry, etc., etc. It's just that historically there's never been, you know, an aviation company that has made profits except for Lufthansa, sorry, not Lufthansa, uh, that airline down in Australia. That's the only Cantus, airline that's yeah, ever yeah. gone bankrupt. Otherwise, all of them have, you know, a certain fate written down in stone. So, mm. I don't know. I, I, it doesn't, you know, I don't get too excited when I see these. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, I guess it's, uh, you know, quite interesting when, when you take a look at uh, uh, some of the developments here and uh, you interface those with, um, you know, even with low, low, lower oil prices. Uh, if people aren't going to be flying about, uh, mm-hmm. it certainly isn't uh, economical for you to be carrying, you know, a plane that uh, is only full to say forty percent capacity. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. at forty percent capacity, you're still not profitable. But most importantly, mm. the the frequent travelers, right, are business travelers. Yeah, um, it, it's not really just guys going on holiday, etc. It's and most of these businesses, even though we're going to level three on Saturday or whenever the 1st of June is, it doesn't mean all of a sudden, you know, business travel resumes. Most of these businesses have proven that uh, they're going to be only sending a third of their, you know, um, staff force, you know, to go work in the head office. Everyone's going to be working from home Mm. until this pandemic is over. So it's wise for, you know, a a cheap carrier like, uh, fly so fair to you know to be very conservative and only start flying when it makes sense when they can go full capacity. Mm. I mean, if they have you know the, the ability to stay for the next eighteen months, it's best to do so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bulazi, before I let you go, I want us to go to Argentina, and uh, uh, I can certainly promise many of our listeners uh, we're not going to be talking about Maradona or anything like that. Uh, but or uh, yeah, or cocaine. Uh, it's certainly <laughs> about. Uh, Argentinian bond yields rising here after a default, and it seems that uh, uh, investors are nothing short of uncertain and jittery about this. But uh, someone close to this matter uh, in the Financial Times today was writing, uh, someone who advises either side of these uh, accreditor negotiations, uh, was suggesting that you know this, this might have some clues about all the other debt talks that might emerge uh, due to the uh, liquidity challenges brought about uh, by COVID-19. What's your sense of what's happening in Argentina and uh, I guess um, any relevance and import it might have for us here? Yes, I mean, Argentina is 
has got a very rich history of trying to screw over bondholders, right? Yeah. Um, we'll get ah, we'll get back <laughs> we'll we'll get back to that story of you know not honoring um, you know their capital payments. But here we're talking about them talking about you know the possibility of restructuring the long term debt. We're talking about uh, the twenty thirty six bonds, which have the sudden they've climbed from two point three cents to mm. thirty three cents on the dollar in terms of you know. Um, the attractability there, if you're, you know, you fish in that, you know, pond, <laughs> and that kind of stuff that's exciting. But if we if we go back, um, you know, to 2002, that fight that they had with Paul Singer of um, an, an, an asset management called Elliott Fund. This is when, you know, Argentina defaulted his debt in 2002, and a company that was owned by this hedge fund paid over, you know, uh, less than 30 cents on the dollar to buy the debt. It, they went through a long, you know, court process, et cetera, et cetera, to come, you know, get these guys to honor the coupon payments and eventually pay pay out, the, you know, the the, the bond. Mm. So the story ends something like this: this hedge fund company ends up making 392 percent, you know, uh, returns on a dollar for their you. investors. But after a long string of, you know, suits, which ended up with Paul Singer basically getting a, call, a, a court order to grab one of the military um, boats, you know, one of those big sailing mm, boats mm, mm. <laughs> in Ghana uh, for them to actually pay up for their bond. I don't know if I want to do business with people like that. Hey, Mbulaz. Let's leave it there, my brother. And uh, I'm scared about, uh, I guess, the suggestions by many people that this might carry some ominous signs for many uh, countries in the developing world, and least of all on our continent, uh, who might have to... Uh, face up to creditors um, not so far from now. Uh, Bright Kumalo, yeah. let's leave it there, my brother. Always Thank a pleasure. You. That there was uh, Umbulazi speaking to us. And uh, maybe just to give you some context of, uh, uh, I guess, what uh, uh, Bright was talking about, about uh, Argentina always finding themselves in somewhat of a pickle. And uh, it's quite interesting because it always has political ramifications. And uh, if we think back to uh, just uh, less than two decades ago, in uh, 2001, between 1998 actually and 2001, there was a massive crisis, uh, similar to, uh, I guess, maybe what's happening now. Um, And of course, there are fundamental differences happening in the same country. And uh, just to give you a sense of that, the Times editorial, uh, Time magazine, uh, uh, their editorial on December 20, 2001, Read as follows, 16 people have died in Argentina in the last 24 hours in violent protests against the government's austerity measures. And most of the cabinet has resigned. Attempts to deal with the economic meltdown appear to have rendered the government untenable. And investors fear the international repercussions of the country's apparent inability to meet its debt burden. How did this volatile situation evolve? Now, uh, that's from an article in Time magazine, December 20. 2001 explaining the Argentinian crisis. So, uh, yeah, as they say, first is tragedy and second as farce. It's a little after 8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro with myself, Ayabong Akawe. I'd love to hear from you. So do share with us some of your perspectives, just like Relatable Sipo has done on Twitter. And uh, he says, Mklegaz, congregants sing and worship when congregating. How do you sing with a mask on? I'm afraid this is going to be a tough period. It's winter season. Alcohol is allowed. Worship is allowed. And I think he's correct. Uh, I certainly hope all of you are safe out there. 
the cold fronts are anticipated for every single week of this winter, certainly hearing from some of the uh, weather services. So uh, do keep safe and make sure uh, that uh, you uh, don't compound an already volatile situation uh, by not making sure that uh, even things like a normal run-of-the-mill cold uh, might have uh, extensive implications during this moment. So make sure that uh, you and yours are safe and you are warm uh, during this uh, period. But uh, more importantly, I guess the, the issue that Sipo is raising is that uh, there is going to be all manner of complexities associated with the decision this evening by the president to open up uh, the space for there to be uh, some uh, fellowship and worship over the uh, coming weeks. I'd love to hear what you think about that. So do give us a ring on 89 In the next few minutes or so, I catch up with the uh, CEO of the uh, National Youth Development Agency. Some of you are asking us on Twitter whether or not we're going to be speaking to all of the agencies. No, we won't. Uh, we will be speaking this evening to the National Youth Development Agency and the South African Social Security Agency, NYDA and SASA, uh, respectively. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. And uh, you can also give us a ring on 089-110-3377. And um, I'm going to be joined by the CEO shortly. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, 10,000 rand uh, in uh, relief that has been extended here to uh, youth enterprises. The closing date for this program is uh, the end of this month, uh, uh, the 30th uh, of May, and uh, certainly do get those applications through. And uh, to tell us a bit more about this, we're going to be joined in the next few minutes by Wazim Karim. He's the CEO at the NYDA.